Welcome to the Fail Forward podcast. The purpose of this podcast is change the negative stigma around failure into a positive. Failure is only a negative if we do not learn from it and we give up. So today we have got a very special episode. So I've got Jay Allen back on, but then technically I'm on his podcast. So we're doing a collaboration podcast episode with Fail Forward and Add a Zero mixed together. And as you guys know, my favorite episode so far was Jay's interview. And since then, me and Jay have had lunch together, we've talked and we've worked out how we can do something together. And the first thing we thought of was, let's do a podcast episode together. So here we are today doing a complete collaboration between Add a Zero and Fail Forward. And we're going to talk about all things business. This is completely off the cuff, nothing's prepared, and we're just going to flow with it and hopefully give you guys some great value. So welcome aboard, Jay. Henry, it's delighted to be back. And I've got to be honest, uh, and this is not just because I'm on your podcast again, um, but of all the podcasts I've ever had the opportunity to be interviewed by, yourself and Marcus, uh, a, a good friend, are the two that I still look back on and think, my God, they answer it. I ask a bloody good question. Um, that some podcasts are nice and friendly and polite, um, but quite superficial. Um, and yet yours and Marcus are the two in my seven or eight years of recording podcasts. I must have been on about 60 podcasts so far. And yourself and Marcus ask such a proper, decent, quality question that I look back on that episode with with gratitude also. Love that. And, and that's what we love to do is get down to the nitty gritty and ask those questions and really, you know, get under the skin and see... Like for me, it's all about, I actually find podcasting a real challenge in a way that I'm a huge talker. So I talk a lot and something that's my wife, Sarah, has helped me with a lot since we've been together. We were just discussing actually before we came on air, it's my 12th year anniversary yesterday, been together 19 years. And certainly one of the things that Sarah's helped me with and um, is that I used to go to parties and I used to be that guy that would speak at a party and I would speak and I'd tell a story, but I would be saying, look, then we walked through a door, then we went left and then we went right. And she was very much like, Henry, people don't need to know all the details. But I was like, I really enjoy telling stories. I really enjoy that part of it. She's like, no, maybe you just need to refine how you talk. So when it comes to podcasting, I've actually, for, it's, for me, it's a, it's, it, it doesn't um, become uh, natural for me to be a listener but you certainly when you're podcasting you have to listen I love the saying you've got two ears and one mouth so you should use them proportionally when I heard that I was like I need to take note of this um, but what I really enjoy doing is, is is thinking about people's what people are saying and it's a challenge because you've got to still listen to what people are saying and then think of your questions at the same time and instead of me just talking at people and then me interviewing you and just going, oh, yeah, I've got experience like that. And then just going down a whole rabbit hole of my experiences, trying to turn those questions and trying to pull out that. Because for me, what I see podcasting and having in people interviewing like yourself is like we want to I want to showcase to people that, you know, that that bit that you told me about, you know, um, mowing the lawn and taking the lawnmower to, uh, completely apart, you know, showing that that was such um, an iconic moment of that interview because it just shows people the if you just commit to something and you are go and do it and you do it to your best of your ability you never know who's watching you never know who's taking note and watching henry the simple fact is that somebody's always watching um you know mm. i've i've been contacted this last week 
from somebody that asked whether they could possibly buy me breakfast, which is always a good way to start the day when somebody else invites <laughs> you to buy the, buy you their you know buy buy you breakfast. Um, but he said, "I've been watching you for the last two years." Now, I know we connected on social, but I've gone back through my social since I've had breakfast with him. He's not once commented or liked or shared or favorited. It's just a connection. I've been watching you for the he's last... A, he's, a he's a lurker. He's a lurker. <laughs> and the simple fact is we had breakfast last Friday and he simply said, then wasn't the time. Now's the time. And so, you know... That the old adage, if a tree falls in the woods and there's nobody there, does it actually make a sound? I think that's apt with one of your businesses being a tree surgery business. It so, um, certainly is, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's about doing something because you're capable of doing it and doing it to the best of your ability, not because you're waiting for the outcome or the reward, but because you can. Um, and not cutting corners because nobody's looking, because you're looking consciously. You're conscious of making that decision that, do you know what? No one's around. I'm just going to cut a corner. And the simple fact is, if you know that, then somewhere down the line, if you haven't fully committed to something, then it's going to come back and bite you on the ass. How you do everything is how you do anything is how you do everything. I love that saying. John Beeson always says that saying and I love it. It's great because it's made me think about how I do everything. Anything is how I do everything. And and you're right. And, and a lot of people, um, I think sometimes when you're putting content out, talking about content specifically and you've got lurkers look, look, look sort of lurking and it seems to be I just had lunch with an old school friend. He's not commented on anything, but he said, I want to invest some money in property. And I've, the first person I thought was you straight away. So he wanted to have a conversation. We went not seen him in years, years and years and years. And we just had a coffee. It was great. Um, but he's not commented or liked anything. He's just been lurking in the background. And quite often I find that putting content out can be quite unforgiving because generally like you know m most people don't put good comments I get trolled quite a lot um, and I also get a lot of people saying to me but what's the point what's the point in you doing all this podcast stuff what's the point in you putting all these short videos out and everything like that and I'm like well because I just think that I'm never advising anyone what to do I'm just putting out into the world the experiences and the different things that have happened to me and the way I've dealt with them and the things that I've come across and the things that I've learned and spent quite a substantial amount of money on self-development like and I'm just re-putting it into my my digestion of someone's content and my learnings of someone else's content and then putting my own spin on it and I'm just putting it out there and if people want to soak it up and, and take it in they can if people want to work with me they can come move forward to work to me but I think it's a great thing just to be putting stuff out there all the time because if that can help one person manage to watch one of my videos or one of your videos or a podcast episode, you know, or listen to your podcast episode and goes, this is this is the the, the lighthouse. This is the, the beam of light that I need just to get my ass off this sofa today and go out and try something. Or this is what I needed to hear right now at this time to this really shit day I'm happening or this 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 opportunity or this situation i've got to get out of if that can help inspire people then that's only a good thing right uh, i'm going to be i'm going to be daring and say i believe that there's a level of arrogance that if we know something and then choose to keep it to ourselves i now know this this is mine because the simple fact is it, it was never yours in the first place you might have contributed it to it but on the whole scheme of things for god's sake don't ever believe 
that you are the be-all and end-all that's got the answers to everything. Because um, there's only one person and he's up there. Um, and, and he's got the answer. Um, we might find out that eventually that he's a she uh, and she's got the answer. Um, but, but nevertheless, all of them are there, are they, or who you're... Or, or, or and another. Yes, let's let, let's not become into that political uh, political debate. No, uh, no, we're not. We're not going to go there today. <laughs> That's another episode entirely. But, but how how is it possible that we could actually learn something that could benefit either ourselves or some other human being, and then make a conscious decision that I'm going to hold that and not share it with the world that it could could help somebody else. I, I just find that quite. Quite, in, quite arrogant, to be honest with you. Quite upsetting that that anyone could learn something and then not automatically think, well, who could I share that with that would enable them to benefit also? Surely that's the whole purpose of learning stuff. Is is education is a moving beast. Um, I don't know the answers. I've come on this podcast not to be interviewed, but because I'm going to learn something. Um, and hopefully I might be able to share something along the way that somebody else will learns from also. 100%. And I think you're right. Like a lot of people do. And I get questioned all the time. Why, why are you doing a podcast? Henry? Why are you, why are you doing any of this stuff? Like, uh, and I'm like, because I want to just put stuff out into the world. If people want to grab hold of certain bits of it, if they want to hear it in a certain way that helps them, then so be it. And my reach to people will be different from someone like Gary Vee's reach or Stephen Bartlett or someone like that. And like, you know, for me to be anywhere close to them would be amazing. But, you know, people digest information in different ways and through different people. Um, and I get it. I get a lot of resistance in the tree surgery industry, because now I mentor tree surgeons as well. Um, and a lot of people say to me, but why do you do that for? You've got your own tree surgery business. Surely you're making your competitors stronger. And I'm like, good, good. I'm, I want my pet competitors to be stronger because the stronger they are, the better the industry, the more I'll level up in my tree surgery business and a rising tide raises all ships. And if the industry improves, that's only better for everybody. So it's it, for me, like it's very old school. There's a very old school way, especially in the tree surgery industry, where people are like this is my this is what I know. And I'm going to keep this very secret to myself. It's like, why? Like, why? Why keep it secret to yourself? Like, share it out there, because also the other thing with it is, is people have got to be ready to hear it, accept it and also action it, because quite often people know stuff and they don't action it. Henry, how many times have you heard something and you thought, oh, that's interesting, but I'm busy doing this right now. I'll, I'll park that. I'll come back to it. And the simple fact is that, you know, life's lessons determine that we're going to continue to be presented with a whole series of things until we learn the lessons. And then once we've learned the lessons, it's not that those lessons go away. We've simply learned to deal with them, that they cease to become problems anymore, that we can move through them far quicker to move on to the next level of problems. Well, Unless unless we actually, you know, the, the thing I love about your podcast, Falling Forward, is about, it's it's not about not tripping up. It's not about protecting ourselves and saying, do you know what, don't fall at all, because you'll never make any progress. It's about how do I learn something from everything that I'm presented with, that as I move forward, I can take that with me, either now or sometime in the future. It might be that I learn something from you today, which I'm sure I will. And it's nothing to do with me whatsoever. I've got no benefit to it whatsoever. But I might be able to hold on to that and share it with somebody that could make their day. And I didn't know it because I hadn't been there. And it's simply a case of every single opportunity, every single time you wake up in the morning and you open the curtains, 
if you've got the chance to be able to look up and there's not a starry light at front of you saying, your name's down, you can come in. Um, if you wake up and you're still here, then sure, it, it's a blessing to be able to say, what, what can I learn today? And who do I need to share that with? 100%. Absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. And I think with with the podcast, it, and it's like any podcast, but this, this one is, is if I can stop somebody from making the catastrophic mistakes that I've made in the past and just fail forward in little increments rather than massive drop off the fall off the edge, side of the of the world kind of thing then that's only going to be a benefit the question i was going to ask you jay is i see it all the time where especially in the tree surgery industry and i had this thought myself that people do a business start a business work and, and it's the age-old thing they get caught working in a business and they're just do, they're putting fires out and they're putting fires out, they're putting fires out and they're working long days. And I've had this question asked me lots of times before, but surely if I went into a different industry, it'd be easier. Surely if I went into a higher profit business industry, it would be easier. And I actually got caught in myself doing this because then I started multiple businesses and, and that's where I got. And then I realized that, that, that any industry is a challenge. My question is, is like, I know you mentor people from lots of different industries. Um, do you believe that all business is challenging in the same in the same way? Or do you think there's easier industries, easier, e easier businesses to run than others? As always, it's a great question. But to answer it is, is a twofold answer. Um, first of all. Last year, I gave an example of two clients that I'd coached on the same day you know zoom and lockdown and all that type of stuff we all moved digital it became so much easier to be able to deliver it without moving from the office um but i coached two people on the same day on the first thing in the morning about a 9 nine thirty coaching call was with a relatively small startup first ever member of staff and at the end coming towards the end of the that, that member of staff's probationary period about four and a half five months into having taken them on and he had a particular problem with a member of staff that he didn't necessarily know how to address the best because he didn't want to detract their enthusiasm, but they clearly done something wrong that needed to be attended to so they don't continue to do it or think that that's acceptable practice. So we went through a whole series of conversations about what if and how and what to look at that particular issue. And later on in the afternoon, I had a regular coaching call with, at the time, my largest client that I'd ever worked with a business that across the world does about three quarters of a billion pound a year, sorry, three quarters of a billion dollars a year turnover with an American base. And I was speaking with one of their um, country CEOs. He's, he's the CEO for, for that region um, in Middle Asia. And he was talking about a problem he's got with a department of staff that had recently gone off and done something um, that wasn't against the rules but was outside of the ethos of the business and how we needed to address it without losing enthusiasm and i'm thinking hang on a minute you've gone from a hundred grand turnover to almost three quarters of a billion dollar turnover and we're talking about the same problem now the magnitude of the problem was somewhat different because one was one member of staff and the other one was 124 in a department but the problem was the same and the uncertainty about how to address it was the same so the simple answer is we will all face problems. And the only time that we don't face problems 
is we acknowledge that we have got problems coming. Let's embrace them so we don't see them as problems. Can, can I quickly share a quote with you? I'm reading a book at the moment and I can't for the life of me remember the gentleman's name or how to pronounce it properly. It's either MPEC or PECM, but, but an abbreviation of MPEC is, is the author. And it, the book is called The Road Less Well Travelled. Um, it's a phenomenal book um, written by an American psychiatrist in the 1960s and 1970s, looking at psychiatry and its role in, in, in the local community or, or, or in, in commerce, shall we say. But the opening lines to the, pro, uh, to the entire book says, life is tough. And only once you acknowledge that it's tough, will it cease to be tough. And it goes on to talk about that life is full of problems and we can either sit there and, oh, do you know what? It's terrible. I've got a problem with this and I've got a problem with that and I've got a problem with the other. Or we can turn around and say, life's a barrel of laughs and I've got this challenge to, uh, to work on today and then I've got this to work on and then I've got. And we can either embrace it and see it as the opportunities to learn something or we can continue to bury our head and have a problem. But to come back and answer your question fully about, you know, whether one business or industry is easier than the other. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And it doesn't matter which fence or field that we stood in. The grass is always greener. If I had a pound for every time somebody said, yeah, but in my industry, I'd be wealthier than I am. And the simple fact is that the, the best ways to be able to look at any business, it doesn't matter what industry or sector or whereabouts in the business cycle that you are, have a vision of what you want to achieve, have a set of values that you operate within and do something that you are so passionate about that you don't mind getting up at five o'clock and staying up at 11 o'clock at night to be able to work on the problem that you fix because it's only through consistency and momentum that you'll make any difference at all. And you could make profit from selling ice to the Eskimos if you've got a passion for doing it. Absolutely love that. And you're right, because like the problem solving thing is so right. I always say to people and anyone listening to my podcast or my, my webinars in the past, I always say we're not business owners, we're problem solvers. That's what that's what that's what we do. We're problem solvers. And once you get your head around the fact that you're a problem solver, then when you do get problems, which you'll get daily, you won't ever see it as a negative. You'll see it. Well, this is my job. I'm a business owner. I'm a, but I'm not a business owner. I'm a problem solver. My currency is problem solving. That's how I bring value to the world. And that's how I get paid is by solving problems. And then as your business grows, your problems get bigger. Um, and, you know, that it just, it just goes up and up and up and up. But the more you can get your headspace into that, I'm a problem solver because you're so right. Like I, I didn't want to say at the beginning of the of the question because I don't want to. I want anyone take anything away from your answer. But I've now started multiple businesses like yourself. And when I was losing it all four years ago, I used to I live on the edge of the New Forest and I used to walk off in the New Forest. Um, and I'd be thinking about all these other businesses I could be doing. Oh, it'd be easier if I do this. And again, Sarah, my wife, which I have to give ma massive credit to, I'd come home and say, oh, Sarah, I'm going to start this business. And she'd be like, Henry, focus on the one that's failing right now because you'll have challenges with any business you do. And it was like one of those grounding moments. I went, OK, then a couple of years went by and we sorted that business out and I still wanted to go and try other businesses. But now I've started a property business, a mentoring business, you know, 
and I see the exactly the same problems, exactly the same challenges around staff, around you know systems, marketing, everything. And it's just it's just a different industry. Yes, there's different industries with different profit margins, but then that's just part of it, you know. It, it, and that that's the way I see it. So yeah, it's a a great great answer, Jay. Uh, thank you for that. Henry, let me pose a question to you then, if I may. Okay. What's the best mistake that you've ever made? The best mistake? Oh, do you know what? It, this is an obvious, it's probably an obvious answer. Um, but it was when I lost it all. It was the best mistake I ever made. Because previous to that, I was so ignorant. Like um, Nick said it the other day, and it, and it, it, it resonated with me immediately. He said, if you go to the races and with a thousand pounds, what's the worst thing that could happen? Win or lose? And everyone's instant reaction, I've asked this question to many people, everyone's instant reaction was, of course, lose. It's not, it's win. And what I did in the first 10 years of business is that I won. And I didn't find business easy. I'd never say it was easy because it definitely wasn't. It was hard work. I worked long, up at five in the morning. Like we're saying, up at five in the morning, some days not to bed till 11. I worked round the clock and we grew the seven figure business. But I remember specifically saying to my wife, um, and this was before I'd been on any masterminds, before I'd done any self-development, before I had a mentor. I remember saying to Sarah going, this business stuff, it's not easy, but it's fairly simple. I'm going to start multiple businesses. And at that point, I was thinking about, oh, I'm going to go start this one, I'm going to start that one. And I was I was so ignorant to the fact that I had just worked really, really hard. Um, and I believe that when you work hard, luck happens. Like, you make your own luck. I don't think people get lucky. I think you make your own luck. I think that's where luck comes from. The more you put in, the more thing, good, good things that come. Um, but I hadn't got myself educated in business. And I think the biggest mistake... I made is not getting educated younger. You know, if I could have my time again, I would have left school, failed all my GCSEs, but then what I would have done is I would have started learning about assets, investing, um, business, systems, culture, uh, numbers, sales and marketing, customer service, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's probably the biggest mistake. And it took me losing everything to have this epiphany moment after reading Black Box Thinking and reading that book and going, ah, this really shit thing that's happened, relapsing on a drug addiction, having to sell my family home, like almost losing my marriage, almost losing my own health, this really crap thing that's happened, this is actually a real positive because now this is the restarting point. This is like my life starting again four years ago, almost four years ago. Yeah, it was four years ago last week. So four years ago last week and then restarting and then going all in on this on the self-development like reading like i've got i've got like i've read more books in the last four years than i did have done the previous 35 years I've got this massive 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 area of books in my house i've been on courses i've been on masterminds so i would say the biggest mistakes i've made is not getting not getting educated on things that i really am passionate and enjoy about because school and this could be a whole different episode school fails a lot of people um, and it failed me because what happened is, is I left school with a very fixed mindset of I don't need learning. I'm just going to do what my dad taught, taught me to do. Work hard, be committed, be determined and start a business when I'm really, really young. So my biggest mistake was not getting educated in business. I love it.
I love it. And ironically, some of the things that you've said have resonated with me so much also that, you know, I I still look back at the day that I was sectioned under the Mental Health Act and taken without my will. I'm not saying that there was any will left at that point in my life, but taken against my will um, and put in a secure facility for my own benefit. I still see that that day was the best day of my life. Um not in as much as, you know, turning the back, turning my back on my wife and my young son in order to be able to, to go into a place where I'm secure from myself for eight months. But to look at it now and say, I was such an arrogant, ignorant, alpha male before that time that I just thought I was invincible and I could just bullish my way through life and, and make it matter. At, at, at any expense that it took breaking me to be able to realise that the real life in lesson is how do I, my success will be measured by the impact I have on others. And if I want to be more successful, I've got to have a bigger impact on more people. Yeah, absolutely love that. And it's amazing how that, that how these diamonds are formed when this stuff happens and they say diamonds are formed under pressure it's a very cliche saying but you know what what i've always said is my my past does not define me it just helped mold me to the person i am today and hopefully with what we're trying to share both of us on our missions it will help somebody from not maybe going to that drastic places both those places we've been to because you're right like as men and this is very um uh I, like been talked about a lot in the recent years with mental health with the fact that the suicide rates especially in men in this country under 40 is like you know it's one of the biggest killers you know the fact that we've got this kind of barrier up and i had it of not wanting to be vulnerable not wanting to show our emotions not wanting to to be able to share this stuff and actually how important it is to be able to do that and i think that's why we obviously connect and and get on jay because we both open very open and honest people and we just open up and tell people how it is but there's still such a challenge isn't there because i meet especially men a lot of men who are still very very closed and you kind of want everybody to open up and be able to have these vulnerable conversations because i think once you once you go to these vulnerable places it gives you a building block to to build build back everything isn't it there's a lovely quote from churchill that said a man's greatest strength is to first acknowledge his own weakness um now, you know, I come from a former military background. My first 12 years were in service where we were competitive on every level. And when I mean every level, I mean we would compete on who could shave the best. We would compete on who could brush our teeth the fastest. We turned living, we turned breathing into a game of challenge against each other. Who could tie their bootlaces with one hand whilst the other one was eating a bait and butty standing on one leg? We, we would come up with the most ridiculous things just to compete with each other. How many press-ups could you do? How fast could you do them? How much weight could you have on your back when you do press-ups? It didn't matter what it was. We turned everything into this alpha challenge, no, no sign of weakness. And yet what I've subsequently seen having had the privilege and the fortunes to be able to work with alongside some of the most professionally 
trained and dedicated servicemen in the world. And I'm, I think you can uh, assume as to who I'm referring to when we put them into that sort of category. To be able to observe those guys and say, do you know what? He's the right guy to go and talk to if you need anything about radios. He's the guy that you need to go and talk to if you need anything about maps. He's the guy to talk to if, if you need anything uh, to do with footwear. Um, he's the guy to go and talk to if you need to know anything about medicine. Uh, and you're like, oh, hang on a minute, you're the boss. So why should I come to you? If all of them are dead, come and speak to me. Um, I'm the signposter. I'm the one that just ensures that everybody is in their zone of genius and I hold it all together. And I'm like, do you know what? This is just awesome. My strength isn't in blowing my own trumpet, but in actual fact, just to be able to conduct an orchestra of trumpets. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And, and and you're right, like the competitive way is, is um, I mean, it is life though, isn't it? Life is competitive. Like everything is competitive. When they started talking recently in schools about taking the competitive stuff away, they're talking about having like all all sports is friendly. No one wins. There's no medals. And you're like, no, because life is life is challenging. Life needs it. We are all competing, aren't we, all the time? So it's so important to to have that. But what we've got to learn to do is to stop competing with everybody else. Yeah, we've got we've got to stop. Say, I'm better than them. You've got to come to me because I'm faster and I'm bigger and I'm bold. Rubbish. Look in the mirror. Apply the Kaizen philosophy of incremental improvement and say, last time I only did 51 press-ups. Today I'm going to do 52. Compete with yourself. Look internally for the answers, because that's where they all are, because that's the one that's going to be doing the bloody work. Well, you're right, and, and it is about how you improve yourself, because we are in a, in a, in a, a comparison society with social media and the more the, the more time I spend off of social media the happier I am because it's it, we're so in tune to be comparing ourselves with everybody else all of the time that it it is the compar it is comparison is the thief of joy in my opinion it literally kills you and you people are comparing themselves with people that they don't see behind the, the the battle scars and what's got them to where they have, have got to they just see a picture on social media and instantly start comparing themselves and don't realize that that six pack has taken 10 years of training or that you know porsche 911 they're driving as you know they've got three lost marriages and, hired for the weekend yeah hired for the weekend <laughs> and they've got all this other stuff going on you know um and and it's and it's a killer. And you're right. Like you're the only person you should be in competition with is you, is the, is yourself of of just gone or yesterday. And then keep improving that. And, and and you know life will life will will be good. Life will be good if that's the person you're comparing yourself with. Henry, let, let's let's throw something really let's throw something really stark out there and put the uh, the cat amongst the pigeons, as it were. Eighty percent of business owners are wrong about everything and i think that that's a really really good place to be let me just quickly quantify that before people are turning around saying how dare he as you know Ada zero was all based on research of what causes good businesses to fail and we've looked at over 118,000 businesses to compare this research. It's taken over seven years to be able to compare it all together and to gather all that information. But we've now got one of the biggest studies of business failure since the Second World War to compare data against. And you can put all businesses in any category, in any sector, in any size into one of five categories. 
there's 1% of businesses in the tree surgery space, in the mentorship space, in the property space, in every space, there's 1% of businesses that are doing off the chart sales. They are just off the, the, they've left everybody else for dust. They are not just the industry leaders, but they are leading the industry. There's 1% of businesses in every sector that are doing ridiculously well. And there's another 4% of businesses who are quick on the tails of that elusive 1% club, but have still got a little bit of stagnation going along or a little bit of tweak and measure going along. Maybe they haven't worked out how to use chat GPT yet, um, or they haven't got some form of segmentation in the list. They've, they're growing well, but they haven't quite caught up with the industry leaders yet. 4%. And there's 15% of businesses in every sector, in every industry, in every size of business, that are doing more traditional growth. 5%, 6%, 7%, 8% per year. They've, they've got a bit of stagnation. There's a bit of growth and a little bit of depreciation. But overall, they're a growing business. But 60% but of businesses are struggling, are stagnating, haven't made any real progress from one year to the next. 60% of businesses are on a plateau and we know that from Companies House, 20% of businesses fail and close every year. Well, I never set up in business to either fail or to be a mediocre, stagnant, plateau business. And if you put the two together, 60 and 20, 80% of businesses are out there, don't know what they're doing. They're not moving any further forward. And yet we're going on social media and four out of the five posts are being put out with people that aren't going anywhere. And we're making comparisons to people that aren't doing any better. They're professing to be able to move the needle forward. And the reality is that they might have a Range Rover. They've got no carpets at home and the kids are starving. It's, it's all superficial rubbish. The simple fact is that the quicker we move away from comparing ourselves to anybody else and everybody else and say, how do I differ from everybody else that people can see me as different and choose me as opposed to the sector? Now I can make a bigger impact. The more I start to compete with myself and say, do you know what? If all of those are doing that, I'm going to do this. There's a lovely quote from Warren Buffett. It says, when everything's going right, turn left. Step away from everything else. Because otherwise you just become a number and you're compared on price. It's only when we recognise that we are unique. And the, the ways to attract wealth and happiness and opportunity is to be comfortable in being unique and not fitting in. Love that. Love that. So, Jay, with that in mind, if you were met a business owner now in that 80%, what is the advice that you'd give them? Well, the first thing is stop what you're doing. And I don't mean like physically stop. I appreciate that if you're in that 80%, the chances are that you're already working 50, 60, 70 hours just to keep where you are. But to plan I'm putting it, fires out and working in the business all the time. But to plan some time, even if it's at 10 o'clock on a Sunday evening and you're already knackered, plan some time and sit down with a blank sheet of paper and answer one question, but answer it truthfully and fully. What does the word success mean to you? 
Because trust me, success is such a particular word that's specific to each and every one of us that almost changes daily. I can assure you that before you bought the house that you were in, success was finding the house that you're currently in. Once you've bought the house, that's no longer success because you're successful in that regard. So success is a forever changing thing. But write down, what does the word success mean for you right now? What, what would true success, not, well, I've got to get to the end of the month and get paid. But if, what would the word, if you could look back on this year, the next 12 months and say, I will do whatever it takes other than breaking the law in order to achieve this in 12 months time, I want you to write down, what does that look like? It might be a number, it might be where I live, it might be my postcode, it might be the car I drive, it might be the holiday I go on, it might be where my kids are educated. Write down in detail what does success look like and then go back to your business and say, and of all the things I'm doing right now, how is any of what I'm doing right now having a direct and big impact on achieving that as an outcome? And if it's not, or you've got to be elaborate about it, it's time to stop doing it because we can all be busy. The simple fact is that you can make money or you can make excuses, but you can't make both. Absolutely love that, like the excuses thing. And it's got to be about really clear and drilling into what do I need to do right now today to have a bigger impact on achieving that as an outcome. Absolutely love that, like excuses. Is Henry, let me give you one other thing. Let me give you one other thing. I can give you two lessons. I'll give all of the listeners on both of our podcasts two things which, if you do them, I guarantee will make a minimum of a 20% uplift in your business in the next 12 months. Guaranteed. Number one, every single day for the next 365 days, write down a list of all the things that have to be done today. Not the things that should be done today, the things that have to be done today. You know, at the end of the month, I've got to make payroll because otherwise they're not going to turn up next Monday. There's no point saying, well, it's too late. It's after Friday. I'll pay them on Monday because they won't be there. So write down a list on a day to day basis of all the things that have to be done today. Step number two, stop doing anything else until the list's been complete. Full stop. We spend too much time getting drawn into the shiny object syndrome of, oh, I should post on Twitter. Oh, I should do a TikTok and dance like an idiot. Oh, I should do this. Oh, I should do... Because somebody else is doing it. And we justify it that puts us off doing the things that we should really be doing, the high value of activity that gets us to achieve the success that we want. Entrepreneurship is about doing, for a few short months what most others won't, so we can then spend the rest of our lives like most others can't. But it's about being willingness to drill down and understand what does it take and what, when am I going to start to get moving on that list? Because trust me, I've done a survey of well over a thousand small business owners and I've invariably found that 77% of your day is spent doing things that should be done by somebody else in the business. And yet we're doing them because we either haven't employed them yet or because we haven't got the 
confidence to ask somebody else or give somebody else a job. Well, nobody else can do it as well as me. Rubbish. There are people out there that can do it better than you. Your job is to employ them and lead them. I don't want to be climbing up a bloody tree and cutting off branches in November. I want to be sat in a nice warm office earning a lot of money paying someone to cut off branches. I just want them to be bloody good at what they do so I can attract more people with damaged trees. Absolutely love that. And if I can summarise that in what I do, my my um, definition of success is how much time I spend with my family. That is exactly, and that's been the same for the last two years now. And if I'm not spending time with my family, then I'm not doing something right. I actually also just came off from, we are just talking about the, the lunch I just had with, with a school friend. And he said, Andrew, I see you everywhere. You're on social media. You're in a different part of the country. You're doing this and you're doing that. Like, how do you get the time? I'm like, because I'm not doing all those, all those tasks. I'm employing people. Even if, in, in the, in, even if I make less money, in it, at, but I'm spending more time with my family, then that's fine because I don't want to be in my business doing everything because that is half the block. And to, to go further on what you're saying with the things you're doing, I think the biggest bottleneck in every business, and I haven't done a study like you, but from what I've seen, it's the owner who is the bottleneck. They are, they are doing the things you say, oh, but I must do everything myself. I'm going to, you know, that old saying, if you want a job doing well, do it yourself. That is the worst saying in business. If you want a job doing well, do it yourself. Like, look at Richard Branson. I listened to his podcast episode the other day on Stephen Bartlett's podcast. And he, he got pulled out of a meeting by his accountant to re-explain to him the difference between gross and net profit. You know, like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Richard Branson knows that deep down. But he's got guys doing all the stuff. He's dyslexic. He doesn't, he's, he's been very good at employing the right people. He doesn't need to know exactly how, you know, an aeroplane's made or flown. He doesn't need to know all of the ins and outs of everything. He just needs to know the bits about business and the people to direct him to get those people into his business, doesn't he? Here's a challenge for you. Here's a challenge for all of the listeners. And it's whether you're open and ready to be accepting such a challenge. Your first job as a business owner is to make yourself redundant. Employ the peoples to do the work that tomorrow, if you were either unable or unwilling or simply didn't want to turn up, that the business can continue without you being in it. And until you've created a job that works without you, then you've created a job. I believe that the moment that you employ a single another human being, and that's either PAYE salary or as an outsourcer to answer your telephone calls or service your emails or, um, um, uh, or diary bookings, or as soon as somebody else is taking an income from contributing towards your business, then I believe that we have a moral duty to create a career for that person and not simply fill a, uh, fill a hole in our job, fill a hole in our requirements. And that means that I want to be able to ensure that everyone who comes to work within my true north understands that we are a growing business. For the last seven years, we've grown by 26% net growth per annum. 
And we know that because we set our net growth plan and then we grow our business according to our net growth plan. I turn around at the beginning of the year and say, we are going to grow by 26% net this year. And then we formulate a growth plan that supports the net growth that I want from the business. Not, let's grow the business as much as we can and hope that it's got a better net profit than it was last year. I work from net profit backwards and say, what does the business need to look like in order for us to be able to achieve this as an outcome? But in doing so, I know that we want to recruit three new members of staff and therefore there'll be a career for those people. So when I attract them through the door, it's not, oh, can you do 16 hours a month? Because that's all I need right now. It's I need 16 hours a month right now until we get to September and then I'll need 24 hours a week. And by the time we get to Christmas, it'll be a full time job. And by by, by 18 months after that, you'll be needing a PA or an assistant because you'll be head of lead, team leader. And all of a sudden, they're not coming to a small business. They're coming to a growing business where they can see a career and an opportunity. And ironically, they bring their A game because they now know that there's a career for them. I want this business to be passed to its to my staff. And the only way I can do that effectively is to teach them how to run the business. Well, the quicker I can teach them how to run it, the quicker I can stop being here. Absolutely love that. And Jay, so just a question for you, because I, I always say that uh, starting any business is like a rocket taking off. You're going to use a lot of energy in the takeoff and getting it off the ground and, get, and getting it built. How long? And I, I know there's various answers for this, but in your opinion, starting from zero to getting a business to the point that it's working without you, realistically, how long do you think that takes that zero to X date? Three to five years. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's kind of, I was thinking three years, yeah. In a, in a service-based business, two and a half, three years, if you've got product or if you're a, well, not products, but if you're a manufacturer and you make stuff, it often takes a little bit longer on the premise that the person owning the business usually is the chief mechanical officer, is the is the innovator that that was making the stuff in the first place. Um, I've I've got a client. Oh, I had a client until a couple of years ago um, that makes really 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 nice school shoes for kids, um, rather than just a pair of you know cheap tacky sandals type stuff. Makes some really nice well fitted school shoes for kids. And although the business has got 40 staff, he was the one that knew how to measure feet in order to be able to these these school shoes to fit. And therefore, even though he was the CEO, he was the chief shoe fitter. Um, and until he passed that set of skills to three or four other people, the business hit a, a plateau. There's only so many feet you can measure in a single day before you've run out of time and effort. And you've got to be willing to pass on that skill. But other than that, I would say three years for a service-based business and certainly no more than five, even if you're a manufacturer or a farmer, something that's very ingrained and inbred and something that you've inherited and, and, and learnt. You can pass those skills on to somebody else to such a, such a degree that they have the capacity to be able to move the business forward in three to five years. You should be looking for an exit within seven from a startup. Yeah, because I'm just going on my, my, my period of after I lost everything and started again, it took me two and a half years to leave my role within that business. So we did have a bit of a head start because we obviously when the business went under and we restarted, we had a small base of people and, and a very small client base. Um, 
but we did start by rebuilding the business almost from scratch and we put an actually put a three-year date for me me leaving the business and me leaving the business happened january the first last year and i still do a bit in that business but we're now actually just bringing going to be bringing an nd in so i'm going to be doing nothing in that business four years on from losing it all there is a business there that i have retired from you know i will be retired and, and away from and, tr and trust Henry, congratulations for what you've done, but but trust me, just to be able to you know allow the the listeners to understand that you are not unique in this, although you are unique, um, in as much as every single time that you do this, the next time that you're in business and the next business that you're in, you can do it about a third faster because you know what to look for and you know where. You're automatically working on, so who could do this for me, as opposed to, well, I've got to do that until. Um, I've got a friend who's on his 17th business, and he can do startups to walk out in 15 months. Love that. And, and just to go further on that, my service accommodation business, did, I did that within two years. So it just shows you're right. You're exactly right in what you're saying. You can do it quicker. Um, and, and it's just knowing that. And, you know, it took me, and I'm sure this happens with a lot of business owners, but it took me to lose everything to be able to work that out. Um, I did a whole podcast episode and I got a lot of um, resistance from people, let's say, especially in the pre-surgery business world, that I just said to people, like, if you're in your business, uh, you've got a job. Like, you have got a job. And you've probably got a very underpaid job because no doubt if you're in your business and I know a lot of tree surgeons that they get up at five in the morning and they don't finish till seven, eight in the evening and they're fixing their chipper at the weekend. They are out quoting. And actually, if you worked out their hourly rate, they'd be on less than the staff, like all of them, almost all of them would be. Let's let, let's look at it another way. Let's look at it another way, but pick up on that exact point. Let's assume that I've taken on, oh, Henry, let's, let, let's use your business because we're talking about tree surgery. So let's go to your tree surgery business. If I was to apply and become um, not necessarily an apprentice, but a, a junior tree technician, if you like, uh, the, the, the most junior rung on the ladder where I'm actually part of a gang, but part of a fee earner gang as opposed to an administrator in the office. What might my salary be? being the bandwidth of uh starting at the i'm not talking about your business i'm just talking about in, in, in general in your yeah. sector in my sector you are around minimum wage starting out which which is what ten and a half quid an hour I isn't think, it yeah ten and a half pounds an hour something like that yeah that's where you'd start so let's call it £10.50. Are they doing a 37 and a half hour contract a week or a 42 hour contract a week? Um, it's usually like between 37 and 40 hours a week. But generally it's, it can be a bit more than that because tree surgeons try and get their absolute pence out of everybody. Let's be nice and generous and suggest that we're only contracting them for seven, 37 and a half hours a week, which suggests that their gross annual pay for a week's work is 393.75. I'm going to times that figure by three, and I think this is the minimum that we should be doing for fee earners, and say they should be generating, they, not the gang, they should be generating £1,181 a week to justify that £10.50 an hour. What, the business owner? Well, they should be generating for the business 1100 quid. I see, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Three times multiple of salary as a minimum 
for any fee-earning member of staff. Yeah. Because beneath that, it's possibly cheaper to outsource it or subcontract it or do it myself than it is to pay somebody else to do yeah. it. So I'm looking for a three times multiple minimum. I mean, my staff are on three and a half times. But I'm looking for a three times multiple of their gross salary to quantify and justify the business taking on the risk of the insurance and the tax and the holiday pay and sick pay and maternity stuff that they're entitled to and for the business to be sustainable enough with a profit margin in order to be able to offer them a career not a job. I'm looking at a three times multiple. Then if you look at the business owner and say, hang on a minute, how much money do you is the business earning? How, much, how many hours are you doing? And if you divide it by three, are you doing the right work in the business? And the chances are that you're paying your social media person, you're probably paying them 20 or 25 quid an hour to do all the posts for you. They're probably earning twice as much as you are. It's insane. We've got to understand that our job is to be able to recruit more and more people to do more and more work that reduces the multiple for means to earn a salary. 100%. 100% agree. And like I said, our business, we start off in January by saying, we're going to make 26% net profit this year. What do we need to do in terms of numbers, gross turnover, in order that after costs and after expenses and after a multiple put away to be able to support the growth of the business, that we're left with 26% more than we had last year? And I operate on a growth model rather than a hope model. Love that. So how important do you think it is for new starters, if you're going to go and start a business tomorrow and you're looking at your money and you're looking at your budget, what, what, what part do you think plays in a new starter having a mentor? Do you think that is something someone should get from day, day one? Like, what's your opinions on that? Because a lot of people say, oh, I'm starting a business, I can't afford a mentor. But how, how valuable do you think a mentor is in that journey? I think the first thirty to 35,000 turnover in any business in any sector is the most difficult to be able to earn. I think everything is test and measure, try it and see, having a go. I think there's the need to be able to bootstrap as much as you possibly can. And therefore, the thought of investing in a mentor is possibly outside of people's reach. But I also say that the people that invest early are the ones that are going to be able to reap the rewards the quickest. That 35 grand is going to be a few months generated as opposed to three, four, five years down the line and still can't work out why you haven't hit 50k because you're going to continue to sit in the same level of competency unless you step outside of the comfort zone. So there's plenty of free stuff out there. This podcast is available for free and gaining value. There's books, there's webinars, there's seminars, all of which you could start with. But the quicker we learn that we don't know what we don't know, and the quicker we find the right person who we resonate with, and don't get me wrong, like you said, there's Steve Bartlett, there's Gary V, there's countless others out there. We've got to find somebody that we resonate with, that we connect connect with, that, that I get, that I'm happy to be able to follow into the lion's den. But once you've found them, the quicker that you start to implement the things that you learn from outside of your comfort zone, 
the quicker that 35 grand a year becomes 35 grand a month becomes 35 grand a day than it is sitting back and saying, well, this time next year, Rodney, we'll all be millionaires. <laughs> and, and you're exactly right, like, with that, because I, I did a live um, on my tree surgery business owners group before I came on here, and the live's name was, if you always do what you've done, you'll get always get what you've got. And quite often, at best, exactly at best. And it's one of those that... Um, You've got to sometimes think outside of the box and to be able to do that, you need to be outside of the box and you need somebody to be outside of your box telling you to get outside of the box, if that makes sense. And I learned that very quickly after I lost it all, that having a mentor and being part of masterminds and everything will, will help. And you're exactly right with finding someone to resonate with, because I even say it on my lives and whether it's good marketing or not, I say to the tree surgery world, if it's not me, if you don't resonate with me, Take what I'm saying and go and find somebody that you can resonate with. Go and find a mastermind. You know, like I look back and wish I had my products now rolling back five, 10 years ago. But also the question I always have, and my wife always said, 10 years ago, Henry, would you have bought your product? And I was like, probably not, because I was too effing ignorant to take my own product at that point. So I had to learn the shit and go through the crap to know that I needed my product. So it's very difficult, isn't it? Because it comes back to the self again. And, you know, we always look at everyone else and what everyone else is doing and blame excuses on it, what everyone else is doing. But actually it always comes back down to yourself and looking within, doesn't it? And going, okay, what do I need to then create success? And what do I need? But it's so easy to blame everything else and the reasons why we've not made that million pound next year. You know, it's always, it's always everyone else's fault. But actually when we then bring it back to ourselves and go, what do I need? That's when we start really asking the right questions. You know, what do I need? If I wake up every day and go, what do I need to have this? successful day today that's the right question not who do I need to let me down or not let me down today for me to have a successful day which I think is so so important to be looking at always looking within before we look out what, what what everyone else is doing the other thing I wanted to quickly share with you is it doesn't matter whether you're into sport and if you are which sport it doesn't matter whether you're into tv and music uh, movies or music it doesn't matter what when you go to the very top of the profession, be it the BAFTAs or the Mobies or the UFA final cup, cup final or golf on the PGA or Formula One, it doesn't matter. When you get to the very, very top and you see Messi raising a cup, never does he turn around and say, all of this was my hard work. They all say... I'm standing here receiving this on behalf of the team of people, the coach, the guides, the mentors, the support, the, the back team that helped me to get to where I am today. You know, and it's only when you turn around and say you will only push yourself to the remit of your own comfort zone. And success is deep inside the cave that you fear to enter. You've got to have somebody willing to be able to guide you in and then kick you up the ass and keep you moving forward. Absolutely love that. And I think that is the moral of today's episode, that build a winning team and you will be a winner. Michael Jordan, arguably the best basketball player of all time. Doesn't matter whether you like the guy or not, he's scored more winning baskets than anybody else in history. And he said, only once a team gives up any individual aspiration of success will success become a, a standard 
Only once we give up playing as 12 individuals and start understanding that the goalie or the backstop is there for a reason. He failed more than a thousand shots at basket on the premise that they were all in practice to get the one through the net that counted. And that's by relying on a teams to know where and when and why and how and who. That it's not about you putting the hand through the basket. It's about you being able to provide the defence that allows them to do this and them to that and them to the other, that collectively we all win. I'm fortunate enough to have spent some time in the military where I knew that lives depend on the actions that we take. And basic training was brutal, but phenomenal. My, my first ever basic training sergeant major used to say, your life is worth nothing. But the guy in front of you is a god and protect him with your life. Knowing full well there's somebody behind you. Thinking the same of you. That it's only when you put somebody else first, be it a client or a supplier or the industry or the sector or the environment. Where only when you put something else first, knowing that you've got a team of people that have got your back gives you the confidence to try new things and do new things and step outside the box and step off the ledge, knowing full well that somebody's got a safety net or a parachute for you. It's simple in simple fact is that, like you've said, if you always do what you've always done, at best, you'll have what you've got already. And if this isn't success, if you're not sat on your own beach island with a pina colada listening to this podcast, then perhaps it's time that you've got a mentor to enable you to do so next year. Love that. Love that. And what a way to wrap up and um, draw this episode to an end. So firstly, I've loved today. Uh, I think it's been an amazing collaboration, fail forward and add a zero to the point that I think if you agree with me, and I'm sure you will, that we'll do this again very soon. Um, and what I think what we should do, because I know you've got some great listeners, I've got some great listeners. And I'm going to put it out there. If anybody has got some subjects that you want me and Jay to talk about, if you've in love, enjoyed this episode and there's something that you want us to air, because I think we're going to do it anyway. We're going to come on and have more conversations because I think the dynamic works really, really well. And I think if we can bounce stuff between us. But if anyone's got any any topics that you want us to bounce around, please drop me or Jay a message um, and we'll add it to on our agenda. And I think because I think there's still stuff like this AI I want to talk to you about. There's like economy, there's there's mentors, there's masterminds, there's there's different worlds of self-development. There's, you know, so much we can talk about in the world of business, in the world of failure, fell forward. Yeah, add a zero. Like there's so many topics we could talk about and we could, probably could do this one episode now for hours. But yeah, let's do this again very soon, Jay. Delighted. Thanks very much as always. Um, it's a pleasure to be of, of service to both you and your listeners and really look forward to the next one already. I've got half a dozen things in my head that I want us to talk about. <laughs> Amazing. Love that. Cheers, Jay. Take care all and um, we'll see you next time.